Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin-Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing Wednesday and The Big Brunch, two shows that highlight the importance of forming community. <laughs> Alright, we are gearing up, we're slowly creeping towards Christmas. How's yeah. your week been so far, Jenny? Um, my week has been pretty good since I have been rewatching Andor, you know, front oh, yeah. to end, completely a second time. And I, I feel like a lot of people have been doing this, or super fans at least. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's yep. amazing how much like a rewatch you you notice things that you just didn't notice before, and you yeah. get you know w- w- it was week by week. I forgot some things that happened in the beginning or yeah, these small little yeah. details, but yeah, now it's all coming back in there and it's, it's great. Uh, whenever I rewatch succession too, like I find oh, that yeah. the line readings and like the lines themselves, like singularly jump out even more. Cause you know how to connect the dots. Yeah. But I did the same for Andor cause my husband didn't watch it the same time I watched it. Oh. And it got me more emotional this time around as well. I don't know mm-hmm. why, especially the prison break scene. Um, yeah. 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 It's a solid show, man. What are you going to do? <laughs> Uh, and meanwhile, what's going on with you? I don't know if anyone can tell, but my voice is um, a little bit constricted. I did end up getting sick. I've got that sore throat situation that's going around, the thing that isn't COVID, but that's probably RSV. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, thanks to a dear friend of mine. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> shout out. <laughs> shout out. Um, I will not name names, but you know who you are. It's fine. Uh, we're just back in the tea you know um before we get started i wanted to give a special shout out to margaret she is one of our listeners we just heard that you got your clear scans back very recently we are over the moon and elated for you and thank you so much for listening to us um basically from the beginning yeah we really appreciate you um yeah keep listening margaret we uh we're thinking of you always thank you so much so happy for you Yes. Now for this week, uh, tell us, Pellin, what did you watch? So this week I've been watching Wednesday along with It Feels Like the Rest of the World. Um, This is apparently the number one show on Netflix at the moment. It has been, I mean, I don't even know if these things are true, but it's been breaking records on Netflix or whatever. Netflix Netflix uses all these sort of like weird, ultra specific metrics, but I do think it is currently the number one show on netflix or what it is whatever yeah. definition you have for that yeah exactly. and just like from measuring twitter and the feedback yeah and social media yeah, probably, yeah like we can't fact check netflix but they're probably right about this part um so this is basically the latest spin-off series exploring the coming of age of the 15 year old wednesday adams uh the eldest daughter of the infamous adams family are you familiar did you grow up on adams family were you interested in adams family as a kid yeah it was definitely a part of culture and pop culture i was i think i feel like i grew up like i was aware of them i everyone knew the song everyone knew the family members like i think i watched some cartoons maybe that were the adams family yeah, but not like yeah. the live action uh christina ricci uh so that's about the extent of my adams lore definitely like no of it but wasn't deep in it yeah i think i watched the films much later in life like probably in my teen years um so this show is created by the Smallville co-creators Alfred Go and Miles Miller. Miller. Quick aside, I definitely watched Smallville. The impact that that show had on culture, just with the Nexium stuff, who fucking hell. Anyway, there was a lot of anticipation for this show, and it stemmed a lot from the fact that Tim Burton, the director, executive produced it, and has directed half of the episodes for it. So I think up until four. 
Yeah, so if you know Tim Burton, he's the king of gothic spookiness, you might know that he famously passed on directing the 1991 film, and he also had plans for a stop-motion animated Adam's Family film that they were unfortunately halted. It didn't. It never came to see the light of day. Um, so this is, for, for a lot of Tim Burton fans, this Wednesday show has been something that they've been really excited to see because it's... It feels like a marriage made in heaven, you know, the Adams family and Tim Burton. And it's just honestly astounding that it, they haven't done anything together um, like this IP and this creator. So I'm really happy for this um, to, to be out there. I was pretty excited for it, but I was a little bit skeptical as to whether or not it would be good. Mm-hmm. So the basic plot summary, Wednesday Adams is enrolled to Nevermore, her parents' boarding school for outcasts after being expelled from the normie school and is promptly enraptured by a series of murders that have been seemingly caused by a monster and she ends up becoming hellbent on solving this mystery presented before her so how far are you in this jenny how do you feel about it i finished all eight episodes and nice. i gotta say i liked it a lot more than i thought i would i didn't really (laughs) i think i wasn't planning on really watching it because i kind of dismissed it as like oh it's like it's another sort of teen show maybe somewhat riverdale-ish but yeah uh no it's much better than riverdale i it's a lot of fun and it goes by really quickly like it it captures the attention it keeps it moving along and and you want to finish the whole thing yeah i mean same i've never seen riverdale was not interested in the sabrina show Mm. so for me it was just like this is just not my wheelhouse like however agree with you far more entertaining than i thought it would be so to talk a little bit about the cast which i think makes it um yes wednesday adams is played by jenna ortega who is fucking fantastic like straight up she carries a show on her tiny little back she (laughs) is amazing and like we've known of jenna ortega like she's been in a couple of like horror films um she has a very particular tim burton-esque look i would say which is like huge fucking eyes and Mm -hmm. tiny mouth um but she's she's really great in this right yeah like she doesn't break character like this is she's very firmly in the role of wednesday as it's like conceptualized here and she is just so amazing like i can't even say like this is i was so entertained by her her performance her character the lines that they wrote for her character so many like one-liners like uh riffs and 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 like they were they were just so witty and funny genuinely funny and yeah i was just like so captivated by by her performance and i think a lot of people were she has officially kind of entered a young it girl status yeah definitely like you know with the the whole thing about adam's family is like it's kind of camp you know like it's a little bit extra it's a little bit too much it's a little bit eye roll like yeah of course you would say that so for something like this especially with like live action stuff it's very cartoonish characters so to have her actually sell it to us like she is committed like she is fully fully in it she you know acting through her face her delivery her tone her whole body like the way that she moves all of it like she is through and through wednesday adams and you really just honestly have to respect it um for the rest of the cast, some famous names have um, have appeared before us. Understandably, I guess because it's a Tim Burton project, a lot of famous people did want to get involved. But her parents, uh, Morticia and Gomez, are played by Catherine Zeta-Jones and Louise Gomez, two icons, uh, respectively. 
Gwendolyn Christie is in this as the principal, Principal Weems. Um, she's fantastic. Again, like very cartoonish, but also pulls it off. Um, and then we have Fred Armisen showing up as Uncle Fester, which is pretty perfect casting, I would say. And um, the original Wednesday from the live action films in 91 and 92 or 3, I've forgotten. Uh, Christina Ricci, she was she was Wednesday back then. Um, she has a role in this. I do want to give a shout out to newcomers, which are there, there are plenty of because this is a coming of age story. It's about teenagers. Um, most notably for me, I would say Emma Myers, who plays Enid. Wednesday's bubbly like werewolf <laughs> roommate um, and also Joy Sunday who plays Bianca the popular siren who starts off as Wednesday's nemesis but ends up being spoiler alert her friend um yeah. those two were great like I, I really I thought they jumped off the screen really great like yeah for this I agree so for this this is you know it's very much a teen supernatural murder mystery like it's a lot going on here but they don't just rely on the characters and the pre-existing IP. They try and to try and make something new and entertaining out of it, which, you know, it's what we, it's very different, but it's what we congratulate Andor for doing as well, which is making it its own, knowing what the strengths are plot wise. Um, yeah. if you just, if you don't rely so heavily on basically just the characters. Yeah. Um, and also like, um, as a, like you said, a teen supernatural murder mystery emphasis on murder mystery because it's not just like all the, there are like regular teen boarding school, you know, shenanigans like, oh, who's going to go to the dance and everything. But it's also very much like a sleuthing sort of show. Yes, and I love exactly. that. Yeah. I mean, I love Sherlock Holmes. I love murder, like the detective side of it, you know, like trying to solve who like the riddles and the puzzles and all that good shit. So this is very fun. Um, You know, we recently talked about Harry Potter and how great that is um in general just for like the way that we were raised and whatever but like it this this show is definitely filling that hole in my heart of just a bunch of teens that are supernatural leaning in a boarding school like there's something very entertaining about this like little bubble showcased um in in nevermore basically um that being said so the outcasts are split into various different groups um there are the fangs which are the vampires the furs which are the wolf uh the werewolves and then you've got the stoners which are well, what do you call them the medusa joints uh you gorgons gorgons that's it and then you've got the scales which are the sirens uh aka mermaids that you know can hypnotize you so wednesday fits into none of these understandably mm -hmm. she is she is the outcast within the outcast that's that's part of the draw of her but for you if you were if you went to nevermore and you had to be filed away under one of these um oh. which one which one would you be well i'd say which one i would choose if i had the choice uh mm. i think siren maybe comes with the most mm. benefits of like the the power True. the supernatural ability well, also not having some of the drawbacks of the other ones, like, oh, yeah. you can't look in the mirror, you can't go to right. daytime, stuff like that. So Siren is like kind of the most um, passably normy one while still having a, a nice power. So what about you? Uh, it's, yeah, it's a pretty sick power, like being able to convince people to do things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I agree. I would honestly like, I don't, you know, fuck my preferences. I'd probably be Furs. I'd probably be a werewolf. Um, you know in your heart. I'm hairy. I'm angry. Um yeah yeah dude i'm i'm a fur dude um so there's a there's a lot of murderous hijinks going there's a lot of 
gore, I would say, but it isn't in a way that feels too much. I think it's just enough. Mm-hmm. But on top of all of that, there's um there's a lot going on in this series. You know, like we we talked about the coming of age part of it. We talked about this uh, teenage shit that's going on. But on top of all of that, like just the mur- the murder mystery alone, like there's a monster. We talk about Wednesday's dad, Gomez, his past at the school. You know, an ancestor shows up. There's basically like a racism storyline that's going on throughout the whole thing. And then there's a love triangle too, uh, with the characters Tyler and Xavier. Did this did all of this feel like too much to you? I think they sort of pulled them together smartly. It's not a problem necessarily, but some of this stuff is almost like they they designed it to be red herrings or distractions or right. exactly. really to like lead into the bigger things. Um so I can't yes. say that any of it was exactly too much. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of what makes it, right? Like, you, you think it's going to be one thing, for example, for the mystery part, but then they think they solved that, they think they, like, got took care of that, but actually it's this bigger thing. Yeah. So it, maybe there are times when I was like, ah, let's, let's move on to the main storyline a little bit, but yeah. I can't really fault them for pursuing any of these. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, with Gomez's storyline, upon reflection, I was like, holy shit, that was a hell of a misdirect. But at the same time, I respect Mm -hmm. it because it's like, well, how else are you meant to fill up eight episodes? Right. (laughs) Um, So, and I was entertained. It wasn't like I didn't want to know what the fuck happened with him. Yeah, yeah. So, you simply have to respect it. Um, (laughs) So, on, you know, one of the the things that I want to finally talk about is obviously the look of the show. Um, it's basically Tim Burton's signature style. It's cold blue f- lenses and filters and black and white with everything and everything kind of feeling very saturated. Um, how do you feel about it? I know that, you know, people have a lot of thoughts about like the lack of color uh, these days in TV shows, but I think this was definitely one of those instances where it wasn't needed. I, I think it worked stylistically. It's in line with his style, but it's also... Uh not as extreme as he goes in some of his movies. Yeah, um, this yeah. is kind of Tim Burton style brought into a contemporary setting. Yes. Yeah. And I love like, for example, you get the design of the school, which is like all Gothic and mm-hmm. it's beautiful. You get the, yeah, the very clear divide between like Wednesday side of the room and Enid side of the room, which uh, is really striking. Yeah, um, I I thought it all worked, and I also appreciate the costuming as well. Yeah, uh, how they, you know, define each of the characters with different set styles and Wednesday's yeah. clothes, are, like her outfits are Pretty actually sick. amazing. Yeah, like the, I think there's one one outfit that she starts wearing from like episode five onwards. I need the whole thing. It's like it's like is that a con- the the black and white checkered like, yeah sweater. with the little yeah. jacket and then uh-huh. the wide pants. Just very like yes. Comte de Garcon, like Ray Kawakubo going on, like very very good. And certainly like thirteen year old me would fucking go nuts over that outfit <laughs> too. Yeah, no, it looks it looks fantastic. I agree. And like the way that they depicted the like the little town of Jericho as well was just being like this gilmore girls style yeah like, a little down. new england haven yes yeah no i I loved it shout out to yeah like you said shout out to hair and makeup shout out to costume um set design all of that so you know all in all i think this is a very well tied together series of television this is a testament i think to like synchronized storytelling like you can tell that these people you know the showrunners and the writers room very good at what they do 
you can't knock it. You can't knock just a well-executed symphony, uh, which is basically what this feels like. Even if the subject matter is not up your alley or it's like young adult and you might like look down at it, at the end of the day, like everybody can respect a well-landed plane. And I think that this is this has landed the plane pretty, pretty perfectly. You know, again, like we said, it's very popular. It's probably going to get renewed. Um, I think my main, uh, I guess, concern trolling that I'm doing right now is just that I, I, even though we love Jenna Ortega, I really, really hope that she isn't typecast into this Wednesday Adams role, just like John Hamm was for Mad Men. Um, and I hope that she gets far more opportunities because she deserves them. She's a fantastic actress. I think she's going to go really far, to be honest. I think she's going to have a great career. Yeah, I agree. All right, Jenny, so what did you watch this week? I watched The Big Brunch, which is on HBO Max. This is a, for a change of pace, a cooking competition show. No, I haven't had one of those in a while. (laughs) Yes, um, but I'm a sucker for them and and most craft competition kind of shows. Yeah, yeah. Here we are. Uh, So this show was created by, and it's also hosted by Dan Levy, who is... Of course, the Shit's Creek ingenue, I guess you could say. <laughs> I guess so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Nepo baby. Uh, Nepo babe, yeah. Not derogatory, not complimentary. No shade. That's just a fact. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. Um, so this is eight episodes, and the finale of this series came out around Thanksgiving. So, uh, But basically the gist is that ten chefs come in and they compete in like brunch-ish cooking challenges uh, for the ultimate prize of $300,000. The judges are Dan, uh, Sola L. Whaley, who is, you know, Bon Appetit fame. She makes videos New York Times for Benjamin Babish, for, you know, all sorts of places now. She's big in the food world, as well as Will uh, Gridara, who's known for his former partnership with Daniel Hum on Eleven Madison Park, Nomad, etc. So he's like a big guy in the restaurant and hospitality yeah, space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are like sort of top tier judges. Uh, so basically, this is more or less HBO Max's answer to Great British Bake Off. I think mm-hmm. um, that show, as we all know, it's it's a hit. People love its quote unquote niceness, how pleasant it is. Um, the, the sort of gentle nature of that competition, you know, allegedly we, right. things have changed, I, yes. I think in recent years, but, um, so far that those qualities or those supposed qualities of Bake Off have not really been successfully replicated in mm-hmm. U.S. shows so far, even yeah. though there is like an American Bake Off. Um, but I think this is one of the first shows that maybe gets close to it. Yeah. Um, so how far are you in watching this, Pellin, and what are your thoughts so far? Um, I'm four episodes in. My thoughts are that it's it's all technical for me. I don't I don't know whether it's just like again, like with the many my professional bias setting in, but there's there's some editing issues. And on top of the editing issues, I think there's just some format things that need tweaking, but it's not anything that can't be fixed, you know? So yeah, there's there's that going on. Um but it's mostly entertaining. I think it's kind of, you know, I do miss Top Chef. Like the, we're in the Top Chef uh, desert time of the year right now, so it's kind of yeah. giving me some of that. And you know me, like we both love reality, like TV competitions based on skill. So you know, no matter what, I'm going to be entertained to a certain point. I, I think I guess I'm just like tentatively watching. Yeah, dubious. I'll say that. I'll say that it does get better i think yeah Um, or at least like my opinion 
of it change the more I watch. Definitely. So to give a little more background, like going more into the calculated niceness parts of the show, um, they wanted to like purposely create a show that had less of that sort of drama, the interpersonal drama, like the challenges are actually given enough times for, for these chefs to, to cook for just three people, not like a hundred people or 200 people. Like sometimes what happened in top chef, there are no huge twists. Um, the competitors are all, they all appear to be pretty nice. Like it's a diverse set of competitors. Many of whom are queer. Um, many of whom are involved in like community projects or different causes. Everyone like the overwhelming attitude is positivity. Yes. Um, so we, we constantly see like the competitors helping each other out. Um, the judges joking around with each other and being friendly with the chefs. I'll say like in maybe the first half or the first few episodes, I found this constant positivity a little bit much. Yeah. Like just a little bit cloying. Yeah. I didn't find that there was enough tension in in the setup. Like how they again, they're trying to like make a fair show to give enough time to provide all the equipment and the ingredients they need. No like weird malfunctioning fridges or anything like that. Yeah. It makes it a little bit slow or relaxed almost um yeah Yeah. which is just like a different sort of mode to have to adjust to as a viewer who does enjoy seeing tension seeing like people have to work really hard to ultimately vie for this huge prize yeah i mean Um, what you you said about it getting better as it goes along it's because everyone starts cooking better the first couple of episodes no offense that like i don't think any of them were really like, uh, apart from a couple, were really showcasing their skills in the way they wanted yeah, to. Yeah, still settling in. Yeah, and more than anything, like the reason why we watch these shows is because we want to see skill. Like we want to see people actually doing something good and doing something that we can't, as home chefs, can't actually do. And the steaks were missing in the kitchen, but for some reason, every time they presented their dishes, they were just giving us all of their personal steaks. And it's like, it, I get it. You want to be like emotionally, they they want to like showcase their emotional stories and everything and personal stories. It's just at that point, it, we don't know who you are, you know, like we can't yes. be invested yet. So I don't actually care. Like, yeah, sure what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. But like, why are you on the show? It's because you need to cook well. So cook yeah. well. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that starts tying up a little bit more as the episodes go on. Yeah. Yeah. They cut loose some of the players we you know don't really have to care about right um yeah but ultimately you know i really like the idea of a brunch competition i'm yeah i'm a sucker for brunch and brunch food and all interpretations of brunch um and it's a little bit maybe it's a little bit you know corny or cringe because of like the millennial brunch thing but brunch food is it tastes it tastes good you know and who can argue with that right um and I thought the challenges, the challenges were good. Like the ideas for the challenges. Yeah. I thought as the, as the competition progresses, a lot of the dishes that they turn out start looking really good. Mm-hmm, like they, mm-hmm. they look actually skill, skillful yep. and creative and delicious. Yep. And it is nice, I think, in a way to see what talented people can produce in an environment that is like actually conducive to their craft. Yeah, they seem to really like each other. Like this, I mean, yeah. I, I know that for most of them they do, but just you can really feel the warmth when with the competitors with one another. So that's always lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's lovely. It's it's finally nice to see like you know Americans or Canadians, some of them too, like 
we can be nice too in, yeah. in competition mode um, if, if the, the settings are right. I also found, I mean, judging is a big component of this and the judges yes. slash hosts, like how that determines so much of the success of a show, I think. I have some quibbles with how often we are focused on the judges mm. and just their idle chit chat. Yeah. But I'll say, like, I found their actual judging to be mostly fair. And it's, like, pretty balanced. It's not like Bake Off where Paul Hollywood is pretty much the only person they have to please. I want to give a shout out to Sola. I think she's very good in this. Um, There are times where it feels like she's trying to be the pool in that she is obviously, like, the culinary uh specialist in this the one the one that gives them notes on their cooking and everything but there are times where like she'll critique and then not say anything else and i'm just like okay is this an editing problem or did she just not give you the soundbite that you right. needed um because it, yeah. it, it sometimes like it just abruptly ends and i don't know it doesn't feel like well-rounded out critique and you do want to hear it um how do you feel about yeah. like the drinks that they do like the, the with the bartender in the back I guess it's like a it's like a gimmick, right? Because like again, brunch, boozy brunch, mimosas. I don't really care about it. I guess it's like maybe interesting to see the different kinds of drinks that come out, but it's ultimately just like a I think just sort of a little gimmick. Yeah, um, it feels. What about you? It, I mean, to me, at first I was like, "What the fuck are we doing this?" Um, the only reason why I, I, I figured was because it's trying to fit into this brunch theme and how brunch is like a joyous, yes, joyous yes. queer affair where jokes and drinks and alcohol, lol, you know, whatever. But now, actually, I think it's a pretty good Trojan horse for showcasing the chemistry between the judges, which I think it does need that because mm. you know there are times where I'm just like. I don't know if I would ever see the three of you actually hanging out. And now I'm a little bit more convinced and that feels <laughs> feels better, I would say. Yeah. 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 I like um Will as the the hospitality business right. expert is quite good. Like he this guy is is huge Dude, in the restaurant world. He has a ton of experience and he offers so much. I didn't know that he was in this when, before I started watching it. I was just like, oh that's just the Solar and Dan Le- uh, Levy show. Like I didn't think anything of it and then when they introduced him i was aghast and initially because i was just it's a like big get. what how did you get him secondly <laughs> why is he here uh for him like i'm trying to understand the draw of it for him obviously now that i'm not as judgy about it i get it and i think he's actually pretty great as a judge but yeah he's a huge get i'm i'm surprised he's doing something as lowbrow as this i guess is uh my main concern <laughs> But good for him. I guess maybe he doesn't have that much to do right now. Yeah. Or maybe he's gearing up to launch his like hospitality. Yeah, or maybe. Like or maybe he's just um, going full anti Daniel Hum, like <laughs> just yeah, just like as yeah. protest. Um yeah, fascinating. I'm really surprised yeah, they got But him. yeah, the the guidance the guidance he offers is like very good. Um Dan is probably the most useless. Yeah. But yeah. it is it is his show, to be fair. And I guess you could argue, and I tried to convince myself of this, you could argue that he represents the, like, common man taste, like yeah. the regular person, yeah. which is valuable, I guess, in a way. Yeah, and also, I think, if he didn't walk around the kitchen asking people what they're doing, it wouldn't matter as much, you know? Like, it's the fact that he does that, because it's like, every time they answer something, he's like, okay. And it's like, what is his insight, yeah. you know? Like, I would much prefer it if the other two were walking around doing all of the asking and he was just the yeah. jokes. Like, he is funny. 
So he does bring he, the entertainment. Funny. So yeah, and he's like friendly. He like I'm sure he helps put them at ease. The the contestants, totally, yeah. but yeah. yeah, in terms of just like actually offering, I am you know good critique or good feedback or good suggestions. Like he's not really that. That's not his. Yeah, work. yeah. I like this judging in general. Like it was mostly fair. I think. Um, I think it solved one thing that Great British Bake Off has been critiqued for in in recent years, which is like. The question of whether or not to take into consideration past performance or right. you know, success of contestants in previous mm-hmm. challenges, which is always contentious on, on Bake Off. Like you, they say we only judge it challenge by challenge, but then sometimes they clearly disregard yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then other times they stick firmly to the only this challenge thing, which eliminates fantastic bakers who mm-hmm. messed up once. Right. Uh, that's always been like a very inconsistent thing yeah, for Bake Off, yeah. and and here like there is one judging decision, one elimination that they have to make for a challenge, mm-hmm. a team challenge, yeah. and they pick the one who probably performed worse in that episode, mm-hmm. but overall is a stronger uh, potential chef, and I think that's the right call that is the right call of course it is like i I think there's just an element of like what is your track record and were you having an off week or is this challenge just like just you weren't hitting it off this week and and that's totally fair like do you know how fucking annoying it is when someone that's been absolutely middling the whole time gets to get picked over the person that's clearly skill wise better than that i don't want to see it it. i don't want to fucking see it yeah yeah Shout out to Jurgen on on Bake Off and and many other excellent contestants. God, I miss him every day. But yeah, they made the right call in this. So yeah, I mean, if you are like us, you enjoy cooking reality shows. It is kind of on the opposite spectrum of of Top Chef, but yeah, it's 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 a nice sort of relaxed addition. It makes her very easy watching, and I I do hope that it gets renewed. I can never have too much of this content, to be honest. This week in culture, if you are remotely on film Twitter at all or pay attention to the space, there was kind of a huge controversy and a huge event even. Um, so that would be Sight and Sound. They released a their latest survey results for the top 100 films in just like of all, all time. time. Yeah. Is that right? Yep, of all time. Um, so I honestly was only tangentially aware of this because... I am not really part of film Twitter or the parts of social media that really pay attention to this. Congratulations. Yeah. But Pellin, I think you are much deeper in this than I am. So can you explain for us like what exactly happened and why are people so up in arms? Yeah, totally. So as a as a self-identifying annoying film bro, um, which is gender neutral, if you yeah, know about it. Yeah, that is a gender neutral term. It is. Um, so Sight and Sound, basically every 10 years, it's Sight and Sound is the British Film Institute's monthly magazine. Um, so every 10 years, they release uh, yeah, top 100 films of all time. They've done this since 1952. They aggregate the ranking uh, based on this year. Uh, it's 1,639 participants, all ranging from film directors, critics, programmers, curators, academics, archivers. So this is a list for fucking nerds, basically. Like, this is a list for those that are in the know, that are just been, you know, film is what they breathe. Um which is why it's so respected and, and why everyone anticipates it. And, you know, obviously every 10 years is... um 
it's a momentous occasion, you know, yeah. like um, it's the first time I'm I'm getting this list where I'm actually actively like interested in what the list says. Ten years ago, me uh, might have been interested, but I certainly was not in the frame of mind. Yeah. So this list gagged the girl, the film girls a little bit this year. Um, so the list has had a reputation for moving essentially like the same films by the same directors like up and down the list um the cat the canon if you will yeah and like you know multiple works from the same directors uh are in the list too so it's like they they have favorites they have uh, certain directors that are certainly very very influential but instead of i guess picking other directors for their singular films they pick like a body of work and just kind of mix it into the bag so this year um a fair amount of newcomers uh have found themselves in surprisingly high ranks and a few things have also been left out too which i think has uh like i said gagged them um <laughs> i think the it, i would split the controversy into like two things uh the first wow. thing and i guess the, the thing that got people the most riled up uh was who took the number one spot and it was the film jean Man. Uh, 23K Quai de Commerce, uh, 10 AE Bruxelles. So this is, um, yeah, that was the entire name. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a 1975 film directed by the great, late great feminist director Chantal Ackerman. Um, for context, for, if you don't want to look it up, um, before in 2012, it was Vertigo for the number one spot. And then before that, for five, for five times basically it was citizen kane which is the awesome <laughs> old film yeah so th- for a whole like half century yeah like for 50 years basically and like it was controversial that that vertigo like knocked it off the number one spot in 2012 so it's just like this is you know it's all relative basically it's kind of showing how i, I think the times are changing um mm-hmm. but i think the <laughs> the main reason why most people are up in arms about this new number one spot of a film is because it's, it's a it's a film that's three hours and 20 minutes long uh where basically nothing happens <laughs> like <laughs> i love this shit like i think this is amazing i think there is something honestly incredible about the fact that this has taken the number one spot you know we Joni you and I we've talked about long films and how like sometimes terseness is necessary and sometimes you really just need to know you're you know you're taking up a person's time uh please be considerate (laughs) all of that shit we talk about that however like the reason why I love this is because it's just testament to the fact that sometimes you need the director and the filmmaker to cuck you into doing whatever they want you to do. And the fact that this is taking the number one spot is, um, you know, I'm like that meme of like the the sickos. Being like, ha yes, yes. <laughs> um, so I feel feel very um, happy about this. Um, have well, you have you watched this film? I have. Yeah. No, it's really good. It's okay. it's a really very good film. And honestly, like, if anyone needs convincing as to why you should watch it, the length is the point. It's a mm-hmm. it's a feminist film. It is honestly I've never seen anything like it. There is um okay. the draw of it is the routine. So it's the life of a woman like over 3 days and you just see her routine every day and the reason why it's so important in terms of like feminist film is because it shows the monotony of life as a woman that has to take care of the house, take care of her kid, figure out how to make money, figure out how to make the food. And there's just like a really slow buildup of tension. It's honest. It, the the way that I thought of it was like this is like the original vlog. Like we're just watching this person like go through their day without minimal, like with minimal editing. 
But yeah. the frame, the shot setups are incredible. There is like a tension that's just underlying. With the monotony, you're just like, this is really her life. And then you're yeah. just like, and oh, that's the point. That's the point. Yeah. And of course, like, she's just getting through it. But there's a tension that builds because you're just like angry that this is her life. And she doesn't see it, but like little things start going wrong like halfway through and you you feel her annoyance that the, I guess the hamster wheel is like just breaking a little bit or slowing down in speed. Um, it's a fascinating film. Like honestly, it's a fascinating film and I'm astounded and I'm really happy actually that they put this in the number one spot because again, it's just testament to the fact that you, like as a filmmaker, you get to communicate exactly what it is that you want to communicate and the audience gets it you know um chantelle ackerman died by suicide in 2015 so she hasn't been able to like see this but fantastic director like the rest of her uh, work is also really really great not as long but also excellent um Mm -hmm. the uh (laughs) the second controversy that i i want to get into is Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of people were mad about very many new films, like newer films, like films released in the last 10 years making the list. There were, how many? There were like four from the last 10 years, is that right? Yeah, four or five or something like, yeah, basically Mm -hmm. like quite a fair amount. Um, But the the one that got the most heat um, is A Portrait of a Lady on Fire, the film by Celine Sciamma. The reason for that being that it ended up at number 30, which is very high. Like a, a lot of the other newer films are further down the list. Like I think one's at yeah. 60, there's a couple in the 90s. Like yeah, they just made it through like the wire. Get Out, Moonlight. Uh, Parasite. Parasite. Yeah. But yes, Portrait of Lady of Fire, I, even I was surprised in looking at the list. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite up there. Yeah, and this obviously started a conversation about recency bias. Which is a thing that exists. Like, I think every critic, every person that has a bit of sense knows that this is something that you can't help it. You can't help it. But um, I don't know if I would have put it at 30. I do love that film. It's one of my favorite films of the last 10 years, for sure. But, I, you know, this obviously created um, a lot of chat, a lot of chatter. Um, there's been a couple of filmmakers that support it. There's been a couple of filmmakers that don't. On top of the fact that this was so high, I think the general thing that has happened is that there's been a lot more female directors. Obviously, Chantal Ackerman taking the number one spot. That's never happened before mm-hmm. uh, as a female film director. And far more film directors, far more people of color yes. uh, on this list. Um, part of the reason is probably because uh, there are far more critics this year. So, but, uh, not critics, but voters, sorry. So, in 2012, there were 846 voters. And as we mentioned, like this year, it's over 1,600. So, obviously, there's, you can assume that there's going to be a far more diverse body of voters, which then obviously mm-hmm. results in this. Um, I'm happy to see it. I love it. Um, I personally think that this is how we move forward. People get more well rounded out with like the type of types of films that they see. Um, yeah. I also, I mean, I like the idea of, or I, I guess I see nothing wrong with the idea of the canon being disrupted or the yeah. idea of the canon. And I have seen like posts that are basically um, complaining about that. Like they say, mm-hmm. there was one really funny one um, that was kind of like complaining about how contemporary lightweights uh, like a Parasite or get out or whatever are disrupting like the the true greats from right um and how this is like a sign of like oh like you know vc backed uh creations productions <laughs> like uh 
basically, yeah, like destroying the, the, the they're taking the spots of these uh, older films that rightfully earned the spot or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, because yeah, the films before the last 10 years were not uh, backed by shit, dirty money. Either. Yeah, like, yeah, it, it's like a misunderstanding of, of how movies are made. But also, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I find something very funny about the idea of, you know, holding on to being so precious about this canon that like canons are they are formed throughout time mm-hmm, but they mm-hmm. are also like formed by the bodies of people who decide that they are canon exactly and yeah. that is a thing that is sort of changing uh radically yeah this year or in the past decade yeah. or decades and yeah i don't know i mean canon there are like greats there are truly greats that are timeless but also like it's they're never off limits for interrogating why those lists look the way that they do yeah um, and we so don't. It's very funny from that point of view. We don't know what this list is going to look like in ten years. It might change dramatically again once people have right. some time to reflect. Like it's okay to disrupt it every now and again, and maybe course correct as you go along. Anyway, so uh, I, I want to give a shout out to uh, Paul Schrader, who is the king of Facebook shit posting. Um, he was not pleased. Paul Schrader, if you know him, he is the writer of Taxi Driver. He has made one of my favorite films of the last ten years. Also, uh, First Reformed amongst others um i personally love a grumbling old man uh you know we talk about <laughs> richard Brody all the time please keep going paul love it when you're pissed love it when you're annoyed but his whole thing was um he thinks that like it's been wokeified or whatever like he feels like uh. a woke mob is coming to get it and whatever dude like keep keep at it i'm gonna keep watching your films i might not agree with you um on on this kind of stuff but it's always fun when everybody comes comes out of the woodworks and everyone kind of weighs in <laughs> And that being said, part of the fun of this has been seeing the top 10 rankings of the different film directors, because in the magazine, they'll include it. And there's been a lot of like screenshots or people have reported on the different types of film directors. And that's, that to me is so much fun because like you get to see the taste of all of these great filmmakers, like the people that live and breathe this thing. And it's a really excellent way to essentially watch what has formed their creativity um it's like a fingerprint it's you know like what you like what you yeah. like some things are inarguably excellent and for everyone and you know there's a reason why like tokyo story isn't almost everybody's list it is an incredible film however you know it's all about taste like some some of them like more gangster leaning movies some of them like more like slice of life stuff and it's just i i don't know it's it's always fun to see what they're into and it's kind of like peeking into their living rooms to see how they live um so it's i mean all in all it's pretty fun like i love this like i hate the discourse but the discourse has been fun around this if you don't take it seriously you know if it isn't that serious for you um yeah i've been having a great time yeah (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for that actually very helpful explanation and of course it really really taught me a lot yeah Um, and you should you should start thinking about your top 10 um favorite (laughs) films of all time it's, hard. it's fucking hard, dude. Like That's, That is fucking hard. Yeah, yeah. That would be fun, though. Maybe a bonus episode someday. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I think that is it for us. Um, speaking of top films and TV, um, our year-end special is going to come up. That will probably be the episode released on December 20th. Mm-hmm. We have all the things we've been watching throughout the year, of course. But if you have suggestions for... TV shows or films that came out this year that we should maybe check out before we formulate our final list, yeah. uh, feel free to let us know. We love suggestions. I'm looking for, in particular, like, there are a ton of films that I feel like I missed this year, so I'm trying to play a little catch-up. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but you should let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or you can add us or DM us criticismisdead on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you sh- can also check out our newsletter, criticismisdead.substack.com for summaries or links um, or bonus things from everything we've been talking about and more. Yeah, thank you for listening. Rate and review. Uh, tell a friend. Have a very nice week. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lou and Jenny T. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Luke.